0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 37 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I am your host, Tino Romero Jr. aka the Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode, Richard the Night Stalker Ramirez. I decided to do it on this serial killer because... My last episode, I mentioned the Cecil Hotel, and he happened to stay at the Cecil. So I said, "Eh, why not? Let's figure out what's going on with this boy. Wow. This guy was off his goddamn rocker. So let's get into this episode.
1: You have now entered a very rare group of people in this country. You're in the, the ranks of Charlie Manson, Ted Bundy. You claim you didn't commit these murders. But you're right in there now as far as everybody else is concerned. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Even psychopaths have emotions if you dig deep enough. But then again, maybe they don't. Do you have emotions, Richard? No (laughs) comment.
0: There was a little audio clip from an interview that someone had with Richard Ramirez. Throughout this episode, I'm going to have little audio clips of Richard Ramirez, just just for the fun of it. I mean, I was going over his stuff yesterday, and some of the stuff he was saying is just wow, just out there. But let's figure out who the Night Stalker is. So who is he? Uh, Richard was born in February of 1960 in El Paso, Texas. Richard Ramirez was often subjected to abuse by his father, he even sustained two serious head injuries, after which he experienced frequent epileptic seizures. To escape his violent father, Ramirez began to hang out with his older cousin, Miguel, a decorated Vietnam veteran. Now, for those of you who follow and have an in, are intrigued by serial killers, we all know that, or not all, I shouldn't say all, of us, but for the, um, for the most part, most of us know that serial killers are shaped by traumatic events that have happened to them when they were kids, you know. Uh, they were uh, sexually abused, physically abused, you know, some sort of abuse or just something traumatic that happened to them to where it, it, uh, it helps them, it helps shape them to, uh, to have their psychotic break and their sociopathic ways to, it kind of adds fuel to the fire and causes them to just have outbursts and become what they, what they become, you know? I mean, there's a lot of studies, there's a lot of science, scientific research about sociopaths And their traumatic beginnings to uh, kind of help you understand. I mean, there's papers on it everywhere. So if you want to check that out, just look it up. So uh, let's keep going. Unfortunately, Miguel's influence wasn't much better than his father's had been. During his time in Vietnam, Miguel had developed a habit of torturing women. Miguel often showed Ramirez photos of the horrors he had inflicted on women, including one where he posed with one of the women's severed heads. Later, Miguel would finally shoot his own wife in full view of a 13-year-old Ramirez who would take that event deeply to heart. Well, okay. You would think that, hey, hanging out with an older cousin who's a Vietnam vet, that's going to be good. He's going to teach him some morals. He's hes going to teach him some ethics. And he's going to just kind of shape this young lad into a better way of life. No. <laughs> unfortunately that wasn't the case with him and it just adds more fuel to the fire. So he's going with his cousin or he's hanging out with his cousin that normalizes the abuse of women, torturing them and doing whatever horrific things that, that happened out there in Vietnam. And then to share pictures with him kind of solidifies and, and, and normalizes that whole, that whole thing. So it kind of just screws them up even more. Again, now, now you have the the physical abuse from his father and now you have the normalization that torturing people is perfectly okay. And then he watches his cousin shoot his wife right in front of him at thirteen years old. That this is a recipe for disaster. It's already all bad. So the shooting turned Ramirez from a scared, abused young boy into a hardened, sullen man. He began using LSD and cultivating his interest in Satanism, which he practiced throughout his life. No, you're not. You're not a hard, hardened, souled man at thirteen. <laughs> Um, But I understand what they meant that, you know, from from him as he grew up, he became this hardened, sullen man. I mean, Satanism, Satanism doesn't really that's a huge misconception is that Satanism promotes uh, murdering and abusing and, and all this other crap. But If you listen to my episode, the Antichrist, it it really doesn't say any of that, though. You know, those are the extremists, just like you have extreme Christians, you have extreme uh, Catholicism, Catholics. There's extreme in every single religion or aspect that's going to make that one that's going to blow it up. But. It's a complete, it's not as bad as people say, I'm not defending Satanism. Don't, don't shake your finger and, and gasp like grumbler. What the hell are you doing? Are you defending fucking Satanism? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you that there's extremist in every single religion thing that you can, that you can think of. So, Still under his murderous older cousin's influence, Miguel had been found not guilty of the shooting and spent just four years in an, in an insane asylum. Before being released, Ramirez developed an obsession with the same kinds of sexual violence Miguel had exposed him to. So now, as a kid, you look up to someone and when they do wrong, you don't want to admit that they did wrong. So in this case, Miguel, which is Richard Ramirez's older cousin, shot and killed his wife, but didn't go to prison. Instead, he just spent four years in insane asylum. So meaning that maybe there is a justification to where, hey... This isn't as bad. as kind of normal. Cause look, my cousin just shot and killed his wife, but nothing happened to him. He just went to a, you know, a psych home, a psych ward for a few years, and that was it. He's done. It's not good. It, all all this is just a recipe for disasters. <laughs> I mean, like I I don't know much about Richard Ramirez. So I mean I I knew a little bit about Richard Ramirez. I just didn't know the crazy shit that he did during his uh his run. So I, it's just this stuff all this stuff is just bizarre to me right now
1: i'll tell you what i gave up on love and happiness a long time ago why i, I don't care to explain that
0: that's another key feature that has been related to a lot of sociopaths and a lot of serial killers is that they just can't find love or they've given up or they've never felt or had that emotion that they're able to love so Again, this is all just a fucking disaster ready to happen, so let's continue, let's continue. Richard Ramirez's sexual obsessions escalated soon after. Ramirez was arrested for attempted rape. The charges were later dropped when the woman declined to testify against him, but the damage had already been done. Ramirez had developed a taste for the depravity and started to actively indulge in his depraved impulses. You know, I, I understand that's one of the hardest things that anyone can ever do any cor- any sort of um, uh, assault victim, whether it be sexual or physical. So, I, I can understand why she didn't want to you know she just wanted to forget about it and just not have anything to do with it. But damn, you know, it, it just it just sucks that that even happened and it, it just snowballed from there. And at least so let, let's continue because man, there's a lot of crazy stuff in here. So, when did he start killing? On June 28, 1984, he murdered 79-year-old Jeannie Venkow. Authorities found the woman's body in her bed, brutally raped. Her throat slashed so deeply she was almost decapitated. Her apartment showed signs of forced entry and items were found to be missing as well. After the Venkow murder, it would be another few months before Ramirez struck for the second time. But when he did, he would pursue his depraved impulses with horrific dedication. So this next few things is going to be a timeline of of a lot of his, his uh, uh, crimes that he committed. So it, they're, 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 they're pretty, they're pretty jacked up crimes, you know, and just golly. So he's, a, he's already made it okay that, that he's gonna, he's gonna rape and, and do whatever he needs to do. And, and that that's really shitty. Golly, this guy was, this guy had no hold barred. So let's continue march 17th 1985 ramirez's murder spree began in earnest with an assault on maria hernandez in her home she managed to escape but her roommate dale o- okazaki was not so lucky and he became ramirez's second known murder victim later that night ramirez's blood lust still wasn't sa- satiated satiated and he would shoot and kill Lian Yu. he would continue to stalk and murder his victims for close to 14 months and strike terror throughout the state. Now all these murders happened in California. He he didn't leave California to commit any crimes. He just ran all through California. Then he was on he was on a spree, man. I mean, I just it's crazy. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I mean I I've covered several several serial killers over, you know, in the podcast, but I don't know, it's just this one this one's just hitting different for me. It's just crazy that you know, let's let's continue. Let's continue because goddamn.
1: It is power power without charity. A Satanist admits to being evil. Do you admit to being evil, Richard? We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? I'm asking you the questions, my friend. (laughs) Yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. Evil has always existed. The perfect world most people seek shall never come to pass, and it's going to get worse.
0: March 27th, 1985, Ramir shot Vincent Zahara, age 64, and his wife, Maxine, age 44. Zahara's body was found mutilated with stab wounds and a T carving on her left breast. Her eyes were gouged out. The autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem. So this is just more just in just insane stuff that he why would he pop his, her eyes out after the after the, the after he killed her? Oh, I don't know. May 1985, Ramirez attacked a Chinese couple, Harold Wu, age 66, who was shot in the head and his wife, Jean Wu, who age 63, who was punched, bound and then violently raped for unknown reasons. Ramirez decided to let her live. And they, when I was reading about Richard Ramirez, he didn't have a certain M.O. He didn't attack a certain age group. He didn't attack a certain race. He didn't. He just just randomly attacked people. He didn't even he would kill some people, leave a couple of people alive, and then it was bizarre. He, I was reading that the FBI agents and, and detective couldn't couldn't figure out why he attacked certain the way he attacked. You know, like a uh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy attacked a certain group of person, people because it reminded him of I can't remember if it was his mom or his wife. So he attacked that specific type of female and only females. Richard Ramirez didn't care if it was male or female. He would just go after whoever. So. Uh, May 30th, 1985, Ramirez attacked Malville Keller, aged 83, and her disabled sister, Blanche Wolf, 80, beating each with a hammer. Ramirez attempted to rape Keller, but failed. Using lipstick, he drew pentagrams on Keller's thigh and on the wall in the bedroom. Wolf survived the attack. The next day, Ruth Wilson, 41, was bound, raped, and sodomized by Ramirez by her tw- while her 12-year-old son was locked in a closet. Ramirez slashed Wilson once and then bound her and her son together and left. Well, at least he didn't kill the kid this time. Uh, I read earlier reports that he had killed a, a young kid. I think if she was nine or ten. Uh, I but Once I finished reading that, I saw, I mean, once I finished writing all my notes for this podcast, I saw it later on. So I just didn't add it in, but. Wow. June 2nd, 1985, Edward Wil- Wil- Wildgins, 29, was shot and killed by Ramirez. His girlfriend was raped several times by Ramirez but survived. From early June through early July 3rd, early July 3rd, through early July, three more women were killed. Two had their throats slit and. One was beaten to death and all three had their homes invaded. So not only he would he kill, rape and murder these people or not kill, but he would murder, beat and, and rape these people. He'd also rob their homes. What a fucking punk. He's a fucking punk for doing all that altogether. But goddamn, uh, July 5th, 1985, 16 year old Whitney Bennett survived after being beaten with a tire by a tire iron by Ramirez. July 7th, 1985, Linda Fortuna, 63, was attacked and Ramirez tried to rape her but failed. July 20th, 1985, in Sun Valley, Ramirez shot and killed a 32-year-old man, Chitat Asawan, and his wife, Sakima, 29. She was beaten and forced to perform oral intercourse. Ramirez then collected valuables and proceeded to leave. Later in in the same day, a Glendale couple... Maxon Needing, 66, and his wife Lila, also 66, were shot and their corpse mutilated. Holy crap. Ramirez is brutal. See, this is why I enjoy doing this podcast so much because all the information that I, every single episode that I share with you, I don't know much about the subject. So I learn as I do the research. And so when I read it, I'm so excited. That's why some of my episodes, I'm speaking like a million miles per second because I, I have so much information that I want to get out, but all this right here that I'm learning about Richard Ramirez, I knew a little about, a little bit about him, but I did not know in great detail how horrific and brutal this guy was.
1: I don't care to explain that. I mean, let, the, let the quote stand for itself. People, people in this day and age are brainwashed and programmed like a computer at being nothing more than puppets. This nation, this country is founded in violence. Violent delights tend to have violent ends. It's, madness is something rare in individuals, but in groups, people, and ages, it is a rule. Killing is killing, whether done for duty, profit, or fun. Men murdered themselves into this democracy. So you're not much in answering my direct question.
0: August 6th, 1985, Ramirez shot both Christopher Peterson, 38, and his wife, Virginia, 27, in the head. Miraculously, they both survived. On August 8th, the Ramirez attacked Diamond Bar couple, fatally shooting Ahmed Zia, 35, before raping, sodomizing, and forcing Zia's wife, Sukai, 28, to perform fellatio on him. This guy is just he has no, no, I mean, he has no conscience, no fucking ethics, no nothing. This guy gives no shits about anything, anyone, and he is willing to do anything and everything to fulfill and satiate his urge. I mean, this it, it's insane. So uh, August 17th, 1985, Ramirez shot to death a 60 year, 66 year old man in San Francisco. Also shooting and beating his wife, who survived the attack. I'm not sure if I mean, yeah, surviving is great, but trying to survive and and man, just the people, the survivors of, of his of his reign of terror, you know, all the assaults that he did and, and everything they you know the brutal beatings and oh, man, I feel I feel bad for the the survivors. I mean, all the all the trauma and all the therapy and everything they had to go through just to try to cope and and just get get past the horrific experiences golly those those survivors man my hats off to you you guys you guys are some tough ass people august 24th 1985 uh, ramirez traveled 50 miles south of los angeles to mission viejo and broke into the mediterranean village apartment of bill Carnes, 29 and his fiance inez erickson 27 Ramirez shot Carnes in the head and raped Erickson. He demanded she swear her love for Satan and afterward forced her to perform oral intercourse on him. He then tied her and left her. Erickson struggled to get to the window and saw the car Ramirez was driving. She was able to give a description of both Ramirez and his orange Toyota station wagon. So from what I was reading was that Ramirez was just a, a fucking shadow in the dark. He, he hardly he hardly left any hardcore evidence to where people were where the cops were able to pin him together. And then with him also not having not having a, a, a rap sheet, so to speak, they weren't able to pin anything on him. Back then in the 80s, the California law enforcement was where they were trying to implement um, a computer fingerprint system to where, you know, they can scan fingerprints and they'll be able to match, you know, everyone who's inside the data bank, the the database. And, you know, and what's shitty is that he was able to get away with so much and and the cops weren't able to pin and, and catch him in time. Thankfully that his victim on August 24th uh, in the, in 85 that she was able to you know muster enough courage and energy to get to the window to identify his his fucking orange toyota station wagon it's wow <laughs> you know the the thing is that i have no i have i had no idea on a quarter of this stuff that that he did. I mean, I, I knew he raped and killed a lot, you know, several people, but I didn't know in depth and how long he, he went, you know, it wasn't, you know, a crazy, you know, 20 year run, but he did a lot in the few, in a couple of years that he was, you know, he was out murdering just the numbers. Wow. Holy crap. So let's, let's continue. Let's continue. Cause who So how was he caught? You know, that's, that's what everybody wants to know. That's what I want to know. When I started reading this, like, how's how was this fool caught? So uh, inez erickson who was sexually assaulted by ramirez on august 24th 1985 was able to give police a description of ramirez and the vehicle vehicle he was driving a teenager who was outside the apartment complex saw ramirez leave the scene of inez erickson uh, the teenager was able to identify ramirez and the car from the news report he was able to write down half of its license plate number The stolen car was found on August 28th and police were able to obtain one fingerprint that was on the mirror of the vehicle. So the prior rap sheet that uh, the when Ramirez was put in the system early in his crime career, he was, you know, arrested, fingerprinted, but then let go because nothing, you know, nothing came of of any of his convictions. Uh, That one fingerprint that was left on. Okay, wait, let, let me backtrack a little bit. So. The uh, the police reports were saying that Ramirez was so cautious on on driving vehicles and breaking into homes that he always wore gloves. He wore gloves for everything. He had gloves driving. He had gloves breaking in. He had gloves pretty much all day, every day. He wore he wore gloves so he wouldn't leave fingerprints. And uh, what the cops suspect was that he took his glove off to adjust his mirror. And by doing that, he left one fingerprint, which was the only fingerprint of Richard Ramirez is on that Toyota uh, station wagon that was found. No other fingerprints were found. Could, could you imagine being the, being the detective to find that one fingerprint and putting it into the fingerprint, the new fingerprint database system? You know, how, how much of a breath of fresh air was that for, for law enforcement to find that one fucking fingerprint? It just, anything and everything that, that you can do to find the the fingerprints or to close the case, you know, it's, it's 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 a victory. And luckily for for law enforcement, Ramirez slipped up that one time, that one time, and they were able to get a fingerprint from him. Uh, two days later, his mug shots were broadcasted on national TV and printed on the cover of every major newspaper in California. The next day, Ramirez was identified, chased, surrounded, and severely beaten by an angry mob in Los Angeles as he was trying to steal a car. Police had to break up the mob to to prevent them from killing him. So, uh, the what I didn't write in my notes was that he went to go visit his brother in in Arizona. When while he was in Arizona, that's when the cops were able to find that fingerprint and you know uh, run his his mugshot, and then. You know, within the the day or next day, they plastered his face over everything. So he returned on a bus from Arizona back to LA, and when he was exiting the bus, he he there were some uh, Mexican ladies and they started you know yelling in Spanish, "El matador, el matador," which in English means the killer. And they started you know they were yelling you know the killer, the killer, the killer. So he walked away and you know tried to avoid drawing attention however when he <laughs> he went into a convenience store and uh, looked at the newspaper and his fucking face was was plugged right on the front page of, of the los angeles times and that's when he freaked out and started running when i uh, i posted i posted that i was going to put this episode the, the episode was coming out you know i had a, a, a on facebook and and instagram you know trying to give my my listeners a heads up on when the next episode is going to drop well my aunt, who happened to live in LA in the '80s, had uh, she left a comment on my Facebook saying that Richard Ramirez, the day he was being chased by the mob, attempted to break into her house to hide from from the mob. So uh, she she told me that he took the screen off of her window and was attempting to get inside the home when a family friend scared him off, chased him away from the property. And later on, shortly after that, that's when the mob caught him and just absolutely beat the hell out of him. The, the idea or or the thought knowing that Richard Ramirez was that close into entering the, the house of my, that my entering my aunt's house is crazy. The, you, you, you don't know what, what would have happened. you know you don't know if he would have just hit out or, or scared her. you know so maybe maybe even attempted to kill her. No one you, no, you, you don't know exactly what could have happened. I mean the, the outcome and the possibilities are are a billion. There's so many possibilities or things that could have happened but when she told me that i was like what are you serious you can't be serious come on you're are you serious and she, yeah she she told me the timeline and everything my mom confirmed and a couple of my cousins my uh, my other aunts they confirmed that uh, she called them right after that that event happened and explained to them that richard ramirez just tried to break into her home what the fuck man can you oh boy i tell you Los Angeles, man, never, never, never ceases to amaze. <laughs> you know, it, the, it, it's, it just blows my mind that, that that was a possibility that Richard Ramirez ran through and tried to break into my aunt's house in, in L.A. And my, my, my aunt even said, yeah, it happened on Indiana Street. It's just nonchalant. Oh, yeah, it happened on Indiana Street in L.A., which, you know, it, it, I looked at the, the research and, or did the research and looked up the, the path and he ran through Indiana Street. So, ah, boy, I tell you.
1: To, not because they are morally superior as they so commonly claim but because they are imprisoned in a way of responsibilities commitments not beliefs, and secrets.
0: so his uh, trial and conviction when he was caught and arrested they obviously were going to try him because they connected his fingerprints to uh, to the murder scene and so that when they started doing investigation you know the cops built had all this all this inv- this evidence you know they had the bodies they had everything that connected you know, uh, Richard Ramirez to to each scene. They even had footprints when he walked through through muddy areas and they were able to you know pick up his footprints and match it to him. So, yeah, he was going to get convicted. <laughs> so jury selection for the trial began on July 22nd, 1988. At his first court appearance, Ramirez raised his hand with a pentagram on it and yelled, Hail Satan. He's not doing much to help his, he didn't do much to help his cause. I mean, you know, it's a real famous picture. I have that on my Instagram and on my Facebook where he's smiling and has his palm up and there's a pentagram on there. He was a bizarre dude. He just, his marbles just weren't in the right place. And it's unfortunate that It got to that point where he he killed a lot of people, which really, really sucks. So on uh, let's continue on August eight on August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside, and intensive searches were conducted. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, why would they be conducted? Um, no one serial killer just said he was going to murder somebody again, and he gave um, and he gave means on how he was going to do it. So, yeah, th- there's a reason why. I mean, there very justified reason why there's you know you should have a lot of metal detectors and intensive search of the inmate before going into courtroom. They have they have ways of killing people still. So don't don't take their their Threats fucking lightly. August 14th, 1988, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified as they could not help wondering whether Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside prison cell uh, whether and whether he could reach other jurors. However, it was ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible for Singletary's death. As she was shot and killed by her boyfriend who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. The alternate juror who replaced Singletary was too frightened to return to her home. Wouldn't that be some shit? You know, they, they're they starting to do, you go into the courtroom, there's a bunch of metal detectors, you're getting searched extensively by everyone. And then you hear that, you know, one of the jurors don't show up because they were shot and killed <laughs> after Ramirez threatened to shoot and kill one of the prosecutors. you You have a well-known serial killer and you're not sure what reach this person has. Yeah, I would be kind of freaked out too. You know, it's not something to take lightly and it's not something to overlook. It's not something that you're like, "Hey, it's not going to happen to me" because there has been reports where there, you know, certain people who were being tried, specifically gang members, you know, big-time gang members were able to put hit out on jurors and lawyers. It's not it's not uncommon so yeah i mean and you know growing up especially being out and i didn't grow up in la but you know especially being out in la there's a you know huge gang activity and there's a lot of you know big time gang members who have that kind of reach to where they're able to to uh, put hit out on on the public from prison it's not a secret it's a a well-known fact and crazy enough is that when Richard Ramirez was was arrested, he had a legion of fans writing him letters and and standing outside the courtroom trying to get a look of him or yeah, trying to get a, trying to look at him and get a view of him. And just they're supporting him. And there were love letters sent to him. There were people trying to call him. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that at the end of the, at the end of the episode, but there were, there was women throwing themselves at Richard Ramirez and he had legions of fans. So no, it's not far-fetched that Ramirez would have had the the capability and the resources to get a juror killed it's not it's not far-fetched and that's crazy that that was even a possibility so uh, september 20th 1989 ramirez was convicted of all charges 13 counts of murder five attempted murders 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries during, during the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. He stated to reporters after the death sentence, big deal. Death went with the territory. See you in Disneyland.
1: The big deal. Death always went with the territory. I'll
0: see you in Disneyland. After his conviction, he spent the rest of his remaining years in San Quentin prison, which, you know, what I don't understand by having the death penalty is why would you put someone on the death penalty and then let them live out the rest of their lives? He just died in, in the early 2000s from lymphoma. I mean, he it wasn't very it wasn't very uh, long ago. Hold on, let's check exactly when he died. He just died in 2013, June 2013, to be exact. So that was. That was uh, what seven years ago now, yeah, because we're still we're still 2020. But so he was convicted in the 80s, maybe early 90s, and he just died in 2013 of lymphoma. Why wasn't he put to the death penalty? Why wasn't he given the first uh, first class seat? to the to death to to the gas chamber in in san quentin why why did he have to live out his remaining life in prison i don't see i don't understand the justice system yeah i understand appeals but what how can you appeal 13 counts of murder uh f- you know 11 11 charges of sexual assault and uh was it there was attempted murder and 14 burglaries so or five attempted murders. How can you appeal 13 counts of murder and 11 uh, sexual assault charges that were confirmed? He, it was confirmed that he's the one who did it. So why would you allow the the uh, appeal to take place when you have this known serial killer and you have undeniable evidence that links him to every single murder that he's being convicted of? But instead of just ending it and having him live out his life or not live out his life, but having it end his life abruptly, we, you know, California allows them to live out the remaining years or, you know, forever on death row. I mean, there's death row, uh, people who, death row convicts who've been on in death row for like 20, 30 years that are still awaiting to be, uh, awaiting their imminent death. But, nothing ever happens and i understand you know that you know the 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 argument that it's inhuman, it's inhumane it's not right but you know he killed and took and brutally murdered several people that goes along with other serial killers and other and other people who aren't serial killers who have brutally taken people's lives i i don't i don't believe that they should spend the rest of their life in comfort on on death row. I mean, once they get the death penalty, I think it should be a year max and they're done. You know, if they can't, if they can't appeal and change the conviction within a year, then that's it. It's over. You know, that's a wrap. You know, it's a rap coach. let take them out of the game. It's it's over. You know? Yeah. You know, the whole Gandhi eye for an eye leaves the world blind, but this dude is, is these serial killers and these guys who are put on death row are taking people's lives without remorse without regret without any consideration on the trauma that they're causing on other people and it doesn't i don't register how that's okay for them to live 30 you know 20 10 20 30 40 50 years on death row i I don't understand how that happens but hey i'm not a law specialist i'm not everything but uh, let's get to grumbler thoughts so grumblers, grumbles, maybe. No, that sounds. That doesn't sound right either. I need to think of something. We'll just say grumblers' thoughts right now. But overall, Richard Ramirez, in my book, is by far one of the most brutal serial killers that has ever been that has ever been around, and that I've I've studied so far. And it's, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure that there's you know a bazillion other crazy serial killers like John Wayne Gacy and other people. You know, I, I when I first started my serial killer. Portion of the podcast, I said that I wouldn't do famous serial killers, but I'm I'm thinking I'm going to change that up. I think I might go back and review people like John Wayne Gacy, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy. Not so much; he's still a playboy poster child for serial killers that that you know get a lot of attention. So I I probably won't do Ted Bundy, but I might do John Wayne Gacy. I might do Jeffrey Dahmer. I might do those guys just because you know their their cases are fascinating. It's insane that people are capable of that type of, of brutality it it's, it blows my mind uh when i mentioned about the the uh, legions and legions of fans there was one gal i'm not going to mention her name because i didn't write it down <laughs> but there was one gal who decided that she was going to marry richard ramirez while he was in prison Uh, They got married and she had she had stated several times that once he goes into the death penalty, once he is executed, that she will kill herself in because of solidarity of solitude of love. Now, if that's not insane, then I don't know what is, you know. Yeah, I, I do these podcasts, but I don't I don't necessarily glorify these these serial killers. I don't think that they're good people and I don't glorify what they do. However, the media and other people glorify the fuck out of these serial killers. You know, I was going through comments during, um, uh, during the, uh, the, uh, when I was doing my research and I was you know, pulling out the audio for, uh, for what else for the Richard Ramirez bits that I put in here. And some of the comments were saying, wow, he's too handsome to be in prison. He should have been released and I would have taken care of him. Are you crazy? This dude just killed 13 people and assaulted a bunch of other people, sexually assaulted a bunch of people, and you're saying that you can change this guy? He clearly is is not able to change. That's why he went on, on the murder spree that he did. People were saying how handsome he is, how, how much of a rock star. One comment even said that he looks up to this guy and he can't understand why people think he's evil. The glorification of serial killers is sickening. We need to stop doing that. You know, I'm not... I, I hope that I'm not glorifying any serial killers. I'm just, you know, I'm just reading out what their convictions were, what they did and how fucked up they were to bring light and and not light, but bring, you know, education and information and reality that there are people that are crazy enough and capable, fully capable of doing this shit. So you, you know, everybody has to be aware and and be on their, on their toes and be vigilant because these motherfuckers exist. These people are real. And I don't think, unfortunately, with the way the mind works and the way society is, and and the unfortunates of uh, the unfortunate raising of of people, and you know, people's fucked up households, is that it, it's never going to end. We're always going to have serial killers. We're always going to have people who who are just raised and and just born completely messed up, and you know, and, and it's unfortunate that we can't get them the help to help guide them on a less destructive path or a less murderous path, path to where, you know, they, they can be somewhat of a productive member of society because no one knows. Nobody knows unless you start catching the early signs of, of socio, being a sociopath. Uh, you know, you can look it up, you know, early stages of being a sociopath. You know, one of them is hurting animals and then not feeling love, not wanting to uh, to be hugged. loved and not wanting to or shows little to zero emotions there's no remorse they blame other people for for things that they they do so if they hurt someone they're not hey man are you okay no they just look at them like dude you know why are you fucking up you know lock it up it it, it's really it's really shitty that that a lot of these these signs and early warnings aren't aren't noticed And, and you know a lot of kids growing up in abusive households it doesn't help the situation. It just makes, it just adds fuel to the fire. And it's an unfortunate thing. Richard Ramirez, I mean, I'm glad he was, he was caught. It just sucks that he was caught so late and that he was able to, to terrorize California as long as he did. And in the fashion that he did, he should have been, he should have been taken out earlier. And no, he shouldn't have been able to live, died and lived until 2013. He should have been put on the front row, on the front row seat, to to his execution he should have been gassed real early on you know within a year of of his conviction there's no there's no excuse for it i don't i don't agree with having someone living for so many years in uh, on death row just sitting there just waiting until they get cleared of their crimes or they just die from from all the appeals that that they have and that which is preventing them from completing their their death sentence i just doesn't make any sense to me but Again, I'm not a, a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I'm not a judicial reformist. All I am is the graveyard grumbler, and I just give my opinions on what I think and how I think and what I feel and why I feel that way, but hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode. It is It, it was a fun one. It was a crazy episode for me. It was interesting. I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know nearly, nearly as much as I thought I did on, on Richard Ramirez. I didn't know that, that he did what he did, but The episode is done. Uh, Next week's episode is going to be another one of those crazy games similar to the elevator game. I just haven't picked out which one yet. I have to consult my uh, my my team, uh, a.k.a. my 11 year old. She uh, Liliana is the one who gives me all of these these uh, information on all these crazy as games, So. I'm going to uh, uh, consult with her, brainstorm on which game is the worst, and that one will be out next. I don't know the name of it because I don't know which one I'm going to choose, but thank you everyone for continuing to support the podcast. I appreciate everyone from around the world. Thank you very, very much. And like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I am in the works with some merchandise. Now, it's not going to be a lot of merchandise initially because I need to know You know how it's going to be, if it's going to take off and if it's even worth making it. I hope it is because my my uh, 15 year old has drawn out some amazing stuff for for the for a coffee cup and I can't wait to put it on some coffee cups. Uh, Of course, I'm going to get the first one because, you know, it's mine but be on the lookout for that. It's not going to happen soon. It's going to be in the, you know, several months down the road. Cause I need to find where to do it, how to do it, you know, all the, all the crap, the costs and everything else that it's going to run, but be on the lookout for some graveyard, grumbly Mer- graveyard, grumbler merch. I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited to be collaborating with my 15 year old. She's an amazing artist, uh, Carissa Romero. She will be, the, she is the artist of, uh, of everything. She drew out my logo she draws out uh, pretty much everything that you're going to see from here on out. It, it's all her. I, I don't know how to draw. So it's uh, it's all her work. All of my logos uh, that that the picture ones, of course, with me in the book, that's all her. She all she drew that. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, next episode, next week's episode is going to drop again Thursday or Friday uh, this episode is being dropped today, Thursday, because I didn't want to drop anything on 9-11 you know, out of courtesy and, and respect. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Continue to subscribe, rate and listen. Please share with all your friends, family, co-workers, your bosses, everyone, everyone you think that might enjoy podcasts. Share it with them. Just, hey, check this out. This dude's cool. I mean, if you listen to it, it has to be cool, right? But hey, thank you again, everyone. I appreciate it. And as always, good morning, good day, good night. Goodbye. This is the end, this is the end, this the Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard. Podcast. Graveyard.